May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I lived in Chicago, I lived on the north side near the lake above Wrigley Park. But I taught at a high school on the southwest side. So every morning, I would drive the entire length of Lakeshore Drive to the Eisenhower, exit at Cicero, drive past Midway Airport to get to my school, and no matter what, this was at least a 45-minute drive. Then I'd reverse that in the afternoon, and no matter what, this took at least an hour. And if there was an accident or a Cubs game, forget about it. Nightmare. Now, I'm a pretty calm person, but I may not have been at my most generous during this commute. I may have used some R-rated words with some regularity. The person in front of me was going too slow, behind me too fast, and those people merging from the on-ramps or right before a lane was closing for construction, complete and total, well, I'm in the pulpit. Talking about traffic was the favored topic during our lunch break, and we would all strategize every day about what was the best time to leave school, what were the best routes to avoid the traffic. But my friend John was one of the great traffic strategists. He was also a faithful Catholic who lived out his faith in all parts of his life, even on the highway. One day, John described his drive home the night before. The Kennedy Expressway was gridlocked, as always. People inching along towards a patch of construction, people merging, some committing the unforgivable sin of speeding right up to where the lane is blocked, then expecting the righteous drivers who had merged early on to let them in. John said, I didn't let a single nice car in. I blocked out all BMWs and all Mercedes. But then there was a beaten up jalopy trying to merge, and I just waved them in. You know, practicing the preferential option for the poor. Now this is a joke only Christian nerds can love, and clearly you're among that camp. But I loved it, and I loved him for turning a traffic jam into an opportunity for the gospel. As many of you know, the preferential option for the poor is a term from Catholic social teaching, but made famous by liberation theologians. And it basically teaches that people of faith are called to put the needs of the poor and the vulnerable first. This idea permeates our scripture, of course, whether in the Hebrew scriptures where we are commanded to care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, and we are instructed that what God desires of us is to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Or in the Gospels where we are told blessed are the poor and that we will be judged by how we treat the hungry and the poor, the sick and the imprisoned. 
Now, it's not lost on me that I am not one of the poor, yet I have always found great comfort in this preferential option. Even now, I use John's litmus test while stuck in traffic jams, and I hope elsewhere in my life. For this notion that God sees even the poorest, the outcast, those who society deems unimportant and powerless, means that God sees all of us, that no one, no matter what, is beneath God's notice. This notion means that the way our society is structured now is not how it's meant to be. This is what Paul urges in his letter today written to the church in Corinth, which has fallen away from basic Christian teachings, dividing into factions, discriminating amongst members based on social class, and denying basic charity to the poor. Paul reminds them that all are part of one body, the body of Christ, and that it is the weakest members who are to be most protected, even most valued, because God works especially in that which the world deems weak. After all, the power of God is at its clearest in the most shameful instrument of the world, the cross. And the preferential option for the poor is certainly what Jesus is showing in today's gospel. Jesus has just begun his ministry and he's traveling to synagogues and he's preaching there. And when he arrives in his hometown of Nazareth, he chooses a portion from Isaiah that clearly extols the preferential option for the poor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are well-known words to those listening, woven into the hearts and minds of the people sitting there that day. These words of hope for the poor and the oppressed, the sick and the captive, this good news is just what the people needed to hear. And when Jesus sits down to teach to them from the scripture, he doesn't preach. He just announces, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he is the sermon. He is the anointed, the Messiah. And no one seems surprised to hear this from one of their own, Jesus of Nazareth, who they've known since birth. In fact, right after this passage, Luke records that all spoke well of him and they were amazed. The people love Jesus. They love this scripture. But they imagine that the good news is only for them. That the good news is liberation for Israel alone and punishment for their enemies. For right after this, Jesus makes clear that this teaching isn't just for them. In fact, he goes on to tell how God blessed two Gentiles through earlier prophets. First, the prophet Elijah saving a widow from starvation. And second, the prophet Elisha curing Naaman, a military commander of their enemy Syria, of leprosy. 
And when Jesus aligns himself, aligns the words from the prophet Isaiah with the prophets who have blessings for all people, those listening in the synagogue are filled with rage. They turn on Jesus and they try to run him off the edge of a cliff. Clearly, the preferential option for the poor is not as amazing or as comforting if it's for all, those who are not like us, those who reside among our enemies. The people that day wanted good news, but they wanted it for themselves. But what Jesus said when he read that scroll from Isaiah is that the good news is good news for all. If the good news is not good news for the poor, it's not good news. If it's not good for the captives, the blind, the oppressed, then it's not good news. If the good news is not good for all, it's just not good. What Jesus was saying was, when I bring good news to the poor, I mean Gentile lives matter. And the Jews were furious because they thought the good news was just for them. Jesus says, when I say I have been sent to proclaim release to the captives, I mean black lives matter. And we who are white worry that maybe we don't matter then. What Jesus was saying was, I've been sent to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, and that means gay and lesbian and bisexual lives matter. And those of us who are straight wonder if there's good news for us too. When Jesus says, I bring good news to the poor, and that means trans lives matter. We who are cisgender wonder why they get included. When Jesus says, I bring good news to the poor and I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and that means poor lives matter, unemployed lives matter, refugee lives matter, homeless lives matter. And we who are comfortable, who are safe at home, worry that our lives might need to change. The good news is for all, for each one of us, for each one of us here, wherever we are. It is for the rich. It is for those in power. It is for each one of us sitting here. But the good news can never be the good news if it's not also, especially for the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. That is what Jesus is preaching when he reads from the prophet Isaiah. But here's something else you should know. In reading this passage from Isaiah, Jesus leaves out two lines. First, 
he does not proclaim the day of God's vengeance. And second, he leaves out the line, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And I don't think that was a mistake. I think Jesus took good news from Isaiah and made it better news because he has removed any notion of vengeance from God. In other words, there is nothing but good news, unlimited, unmerited grace for each and every one of us. There will be no vengeance, not for us, not for our enemies. And Jesus also omits the line where the prophet says he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And I think that's because he is leaving that job for us. He proclaims the good news of God for each one of us, especially for those who are left out. And then he leaves the job of binding up the brokenhearted to each and every one of us for those of us in power to share the power, for those of us who have to share with those who have not, for those of us who, who are well to heal the sick, for those of us who know good news to spread it to those in desperate need of it, for those of us who are free to loose the captive. So beloved, hear the good news. The good news that is for you and for all. And then know that Jesus is calling every single one of us to share that good news by binding up the broken hearted.